0: From crypto winter to crypto geopolitics, from chat GPT to AI avatars, from zero proof identity to CBDCs and new forms of GovTech. Join inventors, artists, musicians, gamers, bankers, policymakers and rebels for a discussion on how technology is reshaping our world. From our offices in Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast.
1: In Estonia, we are not great maybe at producing hardware, although there are actually a couple of good hardware startups as well and companies, but uh, we are mostly focused on software and efficiency. And uh, in Japan, uh, there is lots of craftsmanship, and uh, people are really focused on making physical things and and really making things perfect. But uh, at the same time, maybe this understanding about the software is a little bit uh, different. So... um, In in Japanese, there's a word called, like, monotsukuri, so meaning, like, making things. And the thing is that you can make a physical thing only once, and then um, to change it, uh, you have to make a new thing, whereas with software, basically, the idea is a little bit different that you actually uh, make something which you know is not perfect in the beginning, and then you basically keep keep tweaking it, iterating, until it becomes um, something that clients really want to use. So... Uh, so there is quite different approach and maybe like you cannot apply the same thinking.
0: Originally from Estonia but a long-term resident of Japan and a Japanese speaker, Raul Alikivi has successfully negotiated the regulatory climate in Tokyo to launch GIGA. GIGA is focused on providing services to underserved foreign nationals who have trouble opening a bank account, as well as GIG economy workers who might be making relatively small and short-term deposits. Inspired by European open banking, Rao looks to a time when our bank accounts travel with us no matter where in the world we happen to be, with local or nation-state banking as a bureaucratic nuisance from the past. So what exactly are the parallels between Japan and the UAE, and can we get cartoon characters on checkbooks here in Dubai anytime soon? Today, we're talking to Raul Alikivi of Giga. Um, Raul, you're founder of a very interesting company. Uh, you've been in Estonia, Japan. Now you're looking towards the UAE. Could you quickly tell us a little bit about yourself and also a little bit about Giga?
1: Yeah, so I'm originally from Estonia, but I did come to Japan the first time already 22 years ago. And um, I came here as an exchange student, but uh, ended up staying for uh, longer because, uh, I mean, Japan is a great country to be and, and study at. And I ended up doing my master's also at the Japanese university. I did go back to Estonia after that, worked for government uh, for more than five years. But uh, yeah, with Japan, it's very often that uh, you, you get connected, you give your finger, but then it takes all of your hand, and then it takes all of you. So I basically returned to Japan about 10 years ago as an entrepreneur. And yeah, so I've been building a couple of businesses, um, been freelance um, market entry consultant, and uh, done done quite many different things in this country. But yeah, with Giga, uh, when I first came to Japan 22 years ago, uh, my experience uh, coming from Estonia and thinking about banking is that, um, in Estonia, we already had internet banking uh, in early 2000s. We already, everybody was using debit cards. And I came to Japan, my university told me, hey, like, uh, please go to this bank branch uh, next to the university and open an account there. And I was given, I did that. I went, mean, I was given a paper bank book with some cartoon characters uh, <laughs> on its uh, cover and a cash card. Uh, first in Estonia, I never really had a bank book. and. Uh, Cash card, it was thing also I couldn't really understand because it was a plastic card. You could use it at, at the ATM, but you could never really make payments with that. You could only get out cash, and it only worked with uh, ATMs at, in your bank. And uh, funnily enough, uh, 22 years ago, uh, like fast forward 22 years uh, today, and uh, quite many foreigners coming to Japan, they will have very similar experience still. In their own country, everybody's already using mobile banking and when they come to japan they end up uh, actually being refused by many uh, larger banks because uh, uh, japanese banks are become quite reluctant uh, they try to avoid risk of opening bank accounts to foreigners they have their own reasons but uh, uh, most people end up uh, opening bank account at the japan post bank and japan post bank it's a uh, It's everywhere Uh, it's government-owned and they feel that yes they have to basically uh, cater for foreigners needs because they are um, kind of like uh, public servants and uh, the service level you get is actually exactly the same as i had 22 years ago so people get the paper-based bank book and the cash card Uh, yes there is also internet banking available if you fill in some paper documents and uh, applica- apply for it. Maybe you get, get access after a month. It's only in Japanese. And uh, yeah, similar application, you have to go through to get uh, a debit card. Uh, but uh, credit card, this is still quite difficult to access in Japan as a, if, if you're a foreigner. So even for me, I'm still using credit cards from Estonia. Every time I'm like sp- buying something uh, uh, with those cards in Japan, I'm actually, spending three four percent more uh, because of uh, currency currency rate uh, fees and actually i need to send money back to cover for the uh, cost so so actually it's not that uh, great to be a foreigner in japan because uh, crossing, after crossing the border in your own country you might be well banked but uh, in japan you will not be underbanked but you will be uh, you will not be unbanked but you will become underbanked quite uh, immediately and uh, it's quite difficult to to get the house loan, if you're a foreigner, you have to actually become a permanent resident, which takes which takes time. So uh, with Giga uh, during COVID, basically I was uh, started to think about like things what I'm actually missing by myself in Japan and um, what have been basically uh, irritating me for for many years. And uh, looking around, we could see that okay, this problem that foreigners have in Japan that's not really unique. It's uh, similar in many countries. Uh, when you cross the border, you actually lose trust that you have maybe built in your own country or a country you lived in for longer. Uh, And uh, there are solutions and solutions are not uh, given by um, traditional banks, but uh, usually fintechs. And uh, we started looking around, okay, can we actually do this in Japan? Um, And yes, we were able to basically find um, that uh, in Japan there are some new regulations that have been not properly utilized before. And uh, just learning from european and american examples we were able to uh, think about the ways how we can uh, kind of relations uh, maybe use them in a way that originally wasn't the intention of the regulator and uh, and yeah today basically we are licensed uh, in japan and um, we are already providing the service and this is already a couple of first months we've been actually onboarding the first customers with our uh, not full service yet, but with MVP. So we are opening, we are not the bank, but uh, we are opening bank accounts uh, to people and uh, basically enabling them to access um, financial services in Japan.
0: Wow, it's a great story. And it's also surprising. You know, Japan is always associated with being such a high-tech, ahead-of-the-curve market. And to learn about the banking system there, is something I haven't heard before. I mean, the bank books with cartoon characters on do sound pretty cool. But other than that, it sounds very surprising. What is also surprising is the quick traction you've received. So I know that you guys recently won the Dubai Challenge at Stockholm FinTech Week, and you've also already won a number of awards for your work in Japan. So you've explained to us the general pain points for expats trying to open a bank account in Japan. But if we zoom out, what is the wider ecosystem like? What is it like for startups? What it is, What is it like for gig economy workers? What are some of the, you know, wider pain points in Japanese society for access to banking, credit, you know, the kind of equivalent digital systems that, of course, Estonia pioneered and are rapidly emerging in, you know, cities all over the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, every country has their own challenges, and um, and Japan, in a way, actually, it is technologically very advanced. So, twenty two years ago, when I came first time, the so, um, phone that I had at that time, it was a flip phone, but uh, I was able to watch TV from my phone. It was before the smartphones.
0: Wow, uh, so Japan, priorities. Yeah, that's that's a big one.
1: But uh, at the same time. Uh, like what I'm always feeling is that in Estonia, like we are not great maybe at producing hardware, although there are actually a couple of good hardware startups as well and companies. But uh, we are mostly focused on software and efficiency. And uh, in Japan, uh, there is lots of craftsmanship, and uh, people are really focused on making physical things and and really making things perfect. But uh, at the same time, maybe this understanding about the software is a little bit uh, different. So. Um, In in Japanese, there is a word called, like, monotsukuri, so meaning, like, making things. And the thing is that you can make a physical thing only once, and then um, to change it, uh, you have to make a new thing, whereas with software, basically, the idea is a little bit different, that you actually uh, make something which you know is not perfect in the beginning, and then you basically keep keep tweaking it, iterating, until it becomes um, something that clients really want to use. So... Uh, so there is quite different approach and maybe like you cannot apply the same thinking.
0: So Raul, could you tell us a bit more about the macro situation in Japan, in particular, some of the cultural attitudes, but also some of the wider pain points in accessing the banking system, not just for expats, but for the population at large, in particular, startups and SMEs.
1: Yeah, I think in Japan, Japanese banks are really good at serving um, uh, affluent middle class so if you work for a large japanese company uh, you will be served quite well and um, overall uh, japanese banks are not really making much money out of uh, retail banking but um, they do uh, try to get cat- capture different life events like people actually buying a house people like big uh, like bigger spending items and that's where banks make money Uh, when it comes to retail banking then it's still very much brick and mortar and uh, the cost structure doesn't really support um, like the like profitability for the banks and um, they also quite uh, how to say like uh, there is I mean Japanese population itself is uh, rapidly uh, aging Uh, we have uh, projections uh, demographic projections which are like it's not uh, I mean that's a reality that's what will happen is that by 2030 there will be more than 6 million people uh, in the labor force compared with uh, 2020. And the uh, uh, only way for Japan to basically uh, cover for that would be to um, either dramatically increase productivity, maybe uh, have more things to be done by robots, or uh, actually accept more foreigners to the country. And the uh, Japanese government has understood that quite uh, quite well. So. There is actually, like, it's becoming easier to enter Japan it's becoming easier to uh, live and work here longer. Also, Japan is becoming uh, more uh, understanding about again, maybe not so traditional ways of working. So there is um, uh, people are, like elderly people to actually work longer. Uh, also, women are increasingly uh, like uh, coming back to the labor market traditionally. Uh, Basically, after getting married, women, after the first kid was born, stayed home as a uh, like housewife. But uh, this is also changing nowadays. Uh, so Japan is using many resources, basically, to uh, they have inside the society, but also uh, accepting new inflow of people from abroad. And uh, for banks, uh, they are not really adjusted to this change yet. So, um, for example, when you apply for a loan or when you apply for, even for a credit card, If you work for a large company they are like basically what banks are looking is that okay like you worked for okay this known company for many years and you have a good salary okay we really trust you and that person would have access to all the financial services they would ever imagine whereas uh, when you run your own business or you work part-time or you work freelance or if you are a foreigner who is uh, not really trustworthy anyway because they will leave japan at one point uh, then it would be very difficult to uh, access uh, anything else but very basic uh, service in in Japan in terms of financial services. But at the same time, um, Japanese government has been uh, looking very much what's going on in in the world. So um, regulation has been improved. uh, And uh, there have been already a couple of uh, fintech companies, waves, fintech startups. So like first fintech startups in Japan maybe got started about 10 years ago. They are now, some of them are now actually already quite big and successful. Uh, and right now we are seeing like second or third wave of uh, fintech companies, and Kiga uh, and is basically one of uh, one of the companies who are potentially will be one of the first challenger banks or neobanks in Japan. I mean, technically, uh, what we are we are we are we are not, we are, we're not the bank, but we do provide our access to banking services. And uh, some other companies are, are targeting maybe a little bit different uh, uh, segment of. Uh, potential customers but uh, they will be let's say offering a prepaid uh, credit card or prepaid like prepaid payment card with um, uh, budgeting uh, functionality uh, or something else so uh, right now when you think about uh, like fintech in general in japan maybe you have like 100 maybe 200 fintech startups Uh, but we have 126 million people in this country Uh, whereas uh, for example in the uk I think there are maybe more than 5,000 fintech companies and population is just half of what Japan has. So you can just imagine that uh, the opportunity in Japan is actually quite uh, quite big going forward.
0: That's interesting. It sounds like there is a correlation to some extent with the market in the UAE. Now, in the UAE, the have, I'd say a decade ago, it was... Difficult to open a business bank account, in particular, if you're a foreign entrepreneur or business coming into Dubai. Now, there's been a lot of really good work in that space. There's payment solutions that increasingly cover a wide sector of the you know, personal banking market. Um there are increasingly payment solutions, which can also apply to kind of micro enterprises or very small startups or or, or merchant companies that are selling, you know, things that are very kind of, you know, $10, $20 regularly. Um, so that has changed, but there still remains some kind of holes in the market. And traditionally, this is also a conservative Um, banking ecosystem where, you know, residency is often required to open a bank account. Um, Certain amounts of deposits are required. Uh, Checks are still widely used. But uh, alongside that, there are also a lot of new entrants, a lot of new fintech companies and neobanks that are really attacking different sides of the market. So I know in Japan, you guys have talked a lot about the gig economy, And there's also a big question about trying to give access to banking to gig economy workers here in Dubai. I'm not sure if you're aware, but, you know, musicians and artists from all over the world come to Dubai regularly um, for all sorts of events. Often they might not be staying here for a long time. It might be kind of a six month to nine month to 10 month residency. And it can be frustrating for them to not have access to services. Sometimes, the, you know, they end up sticking around uh, a lot more, but it, it has been difficult at times for particularly in the creative industries, those kind of individuals to open a, a bank account, be it for a business or a consumer. And then, of course, there's things like a small 5% corporate tax coming here in the UAE, which adds another layer of complexity that wasn't there before. Um, So I know in Japan, you've been looking at foreign workers, you've been looking at gig workers, but you've also used regulation to try and offer new services. So what is it about the UAE uh, that has got you curious? And why do you think the UAE could be a fascinating place to take Giga next?
1: So with with Giga, basically, um, if I remove the word Japan, in what we are doing then we are basically just trying to uh, help people maintain and build trust when they move across borders and uh, mm. so we make it make it easier to basically to work in different countries and uh, when we and japan is maybe in asia in forefront of this uh, trend because the japanese population started aging so fast the fastest or the earliest and uh, now there are, there's still a relatively small number of uh, foreigners working in japan just uh, actually less than 2 million foreign workers but uh, which but it will be uh, more than doubling in next years uh, but at the same time when we look at the uh, trends in asia in general then many other countries are now actually aging even more rapidly than japan was so there will like in next 10 15 years there will be uh, lots of movement uh, from countries with a surplus labor to those countries who are actually um, uh, suffering under aging population but maybe they are uh, salaries are maybe higher in those countries and they are need to accept more foreign workers and the UAE is actually uh, looking for, like uh, based on what I know 85 uh, percent of people uh, in the country are coming from abroad uh, and I believe that there will be like Different people work in different industries. They work in like, uh, they have different levels of income. And that might uh, also be a big factor of um, access to the banking services. But uh, they're also, some of the origin countries are actually similar. So for example, in Japan, I mean, in Whiskika, our biggest customer group at the moment is coming from Vietnam. So we have mostly Vietnamese customers, but also from Philippines. Philippines is actually number two for us. And I understand that there's also quite many people from Philippines working in uh, UAE. And for us, we also see many people coming, uh, joining, like opening gig accounts right now uh, from um, Nepal, from uh, Pakistan, uh, India, and Sri Lanka. And I believe also like those people from those countries also are actually going to UAE. So uh, we, if we serve those people in Japan. What I believe is that uh, we can actually follow them and follow their countrymen to the UAE as well and uh, hopefully make their life easier. In UAE, also so we, we i still need to learn more about the actual situation in uae but uh if i look at the kind of peak trends like it, it kind of clearly indicates that there is also very similar opportunity existing over there as well
0: yeah the massive amount of uh, filipino workers here in the uae uh, or almost all sectors of the economy but particularly tourism and hospitality um i think targeting Um, that demographic for banking is something that, uh, you know, people are looking at and other companies have looked at too. Um, India is another great example. There's a lot of services for Indian nationals here in the UAE. Um, What really is interesting, though, is that comment you made on helping people bank across borders. Now, I know this is something that is being looked at at the level of the G20 and at the level of the European Union, This idea of having a kind of banking passport that lets people have banks that work kind of seamlessly across borders rather than opening a a bank account for every single country you're in. Now, obviously in Europe with a common market, it's kind of ridiculous for an Italian to, to have to open a French or a German bank account, particularly given how the extent to which the younger population move around. Um, but I haven't heard it on this scale. So when you talk about kind of cross-border banking, how does Giga aim to do that? Because obviously, you know, if you've opened a Giga account in Japan, and and by the way, you know, another question is, I want to ask you about the regulation and how you actually did that. But if I open my Giga account in Japan, presumably I'd still have to come to UAE and, and open a separate account. Is that what you're talking about? What would the onboarding process look like so basically i'm trying to pick your brains on this point about having a bank that works across borders and is digital how would that work
1: yeah you're very correct that uh, my inspiration is also coming from europe because being from european union i've seen this thing can actually work Uh, although even in europe it's still not really it's far from perfect but uh, basically you can uh, you can you you don't really need to have um, your salary account from from that country where you are working at because like the fees will be actually quite similar but uh, but yeah in Asia that is completely different each country actually has its own ecosystem and uh, uh, and for us it it, it will be a massive challenge actually to uh, make it work and but the way how we are seeing it can could be done is basically first following our customers back to the origin countries because especially in Japan they the policy has been that the people that Japan attracts people but they people also go back to their own country and maybe uh, after spending some time in Japan after going back home I mean they do have savings from working in Japan but they would need to uh, but they would not be able to get any local bank loans because they are still relatively new in their own country after like being away maybe three to five years so what we would need is actually have similar banking relationships, and uh, we have to be present uh, in those origin countries uh, first. And then we will be able to, like, uh, how I usually describe the vision is that uh, it's it would be kind of like Uber that you go to a different country. It's just uh, in Japan, we would use uh, Wiskiga. Like uh, we actually don't really, I mean, we are not a bank. We are actually partnering with a local bank, and uh, so the, the back bank in a background would switch from a Japanese bank to the local one. And of course, there will be massive challenge about uh, onboarding and regulation. But uh, if it's uh, their home country, in that case, it will be easier for them to open the account. Uh, I love
0: that. I love that. So it's basically like, you know, your mobile phone uh, will change to the local operator when you move country, but you'll still have your root provider equally. You know, when you travel to a different country, your Uber is still linked to your core account, but you can still call an Uber in a foreign country, uh, almost most places in the world, which I always thought was weird and, and kind of cool. The fact that, you know, you can just get get off at an airport, call an Uber and not have to use the local currency or, or worry about how you're going to pay and, and get to the location. So those are two really great, you know, it's a good great way of putting it kind of like Uber, but for banks. And, and I get what you mean about that. Um, I guess there is a problem with it, and we're, we're getting to the end of our time here today. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about what was it like, because you've moved very quickly, what was it like going through the regulatory system in Japan? You said you uh, you used some local laws in an innovative, uh, innovative way to deliver new services. Can you tell us a little bit about what that journey was like, how you began explaining your idea to banks and decision makers and how you managed to get that off the ground, because I know in your space, in FinTech, that is one of the main challenges.
1: Yeah. I mean, in Europe, uh, we've had the uh, open banking for um, more than seven, eight years already. So there is some certain experience and like experience with different business models that can be um, used. Uh, but in Japan, Japan is, it came a little bit later and um, uh also, uh, the, if you're not really a bank, there like, until now, there used to be only like one way to provide banking services, which was to become bank agency, basically to be represent a certain bank and resell their services. And this one was really accessible only for large companies because it needed quite a large investment upfront and quite a large compliance uh, team and uh, setup. So it was not really what a startup could potentially do. Uh, But at the same time, uh, in Japan, there there were quite a number of uh, startups who were aggregating financial information across um, uh, bank accounts. And at first they were doing it over uh, screen scraping. So people used to give their credentials to the company and they logged in on behalf of the people and got the information from the bank accounts. But... uh, uh, at the same time, we was open banking kind of uh, banks actually had to develop APIs, and uh, that Japanese regulator also asked Japanese banks to do. So, uh, Japanese banks did develop APIs, but they did it not because they saw an opportunity, but because they were asked to or required to. And uh, not many, and regulation was also made to kind of make it legal for those aggregators to access Japanese uh, banks' bank accounts over APIs and uh, on, on their end user's authorization. So what we did, we actually um, reinterpreted this uh, legislation in a sense that uh, what we have now is we have a partner bank in Japan and we are accessing the bank account over APIs. Uh, And we are not representing the bank, but we are representing the end user. So they authorize us to access uh, the bank. And uh, also we are also recognized by the bank as a middleman to deliver um, a bank account opening information to the bank so this is quite unique uh, setup which uh, actually now we are the only uh, company in japan using it at the moment but uh effectively we are like kind of easy parallel to like uh to bring to understand how we function is that you can i think in most countries you can authorize your lawyer to go to the bank and open a bank account for you and you can also authorize your lawyer to go to the bank and um, um execute the transactions on on your behalf so essentially we are similar kind of middleman between the end user and the bank. But uh, instead of actually going to the bank office, we do those transactions electronically over APIs in real time. So um, it's a, yeah, I think it's a little bit unusual setup. Uh, And uh, I believe that once uh, we prove uh, successful, there will be many companies following uh, what we have been doing, because this is really... uh, solving like, a big problem or also like opening up many more opportunities and for uh, first also i mean like we, we were when one year ago when we basically went around and we were talking to different banks and proposing okay like why don't we do it this way most people didn't really believe it can be done uh what we did we we had a partner bank uh, it's tokyo kiraboshi financial group regional bank in tokyo and um, their uh, subsidiary ui bank which is digital bank uh, we took actually decision makers from those companies to a study trip to Europe so we took them to the UK visited some um, of the new banks over there we visit, visited wise with Estonia you know, roots in, in in London then we went to Denmark we went to Estonia and even Finland uh, basically to show like what's been possible in Europe and uh, and yeah uh, well enough like after going back to Japan we've actually started the uh, meet like daily meetings with our partner bank and uh, pushing forward towards the an agreement and towards the launch so you know, so so i think in, in japan in general there is um, quite a lot of interest in um, doing new things of course it, it comes with challenges because uh, especially when you're doing something like like if you're the first doing something then you will be under more um, attention and scrutiny on from behalf of the bank but also from the regulator and um, there's also always like this different clash of cultures that uh, maybe conservative and traditional banks have and what uh, you would uh, have as a uh, young uh, and kind of scrappy startup but uh, but yeah so basically the biggest challenge has not been actually regulation but it's been basically communication and uh, being able to make to understand each other so uh, I think it's Especially for Japan, it's uh, it's uh, you have to be local to be able to make make this kind of things happen. So, so what helps is that yeah, like I've been I've been here for like many years, speaks a language, and uh, I've had uh, very good colleagues in the team who actually have been able to crack uh, those uh, regulatory um,
0: challenges. I was going to ask you very likely speak Japanese, and uh, yeah, it's true you do. I guess that definitely helps. Um, Well, thank you so much for joining the UAE Tech Podcast today and hope to see you and Giga in the UAE at some point in the future. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by AlboAbo Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Webber business, syndication distribution on Webber syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. AlbaWeber is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.